from time to time, I think we need a reminder of what church is supposed to be according to what the Bible teaches. We've been talking over the last few weeks about what it means to kick open the door of the heaven, of, of, of the kingdom of heaven for those who have been shut out, right? By so many religious obstacles. And the question that I've been asking lately is how do, we, how do we remove so many of those obstacles? How do we remove as many as we can so that people can really see Jesus pure and clear? That they can really see the real thing. They can really see what Jesus is all about. If we can just remove all the crap so oftentimes that finds its way into church. How do we remove those obstacles? Because Jesus, and this is referring back if you hadn't heard some of these messages before to, when Jesus was upset with the Pharisees. He was telling the Pharisees, you're making up all these rules and thousands of rules actually for things, things that people needed to follow. But what you're doing is you're really kind of shutting the kingdom of God in people's faces. And they're wanting to get in the kingdom, but because of you, you're in their way. There are so many obstacles, so many things that God does not teach that need to be removed from church. So we want to show Jesus pure and clear. And much of that conversation has revolved around legalism, the numerous religious rules that I mentioned a moment ago that God does not support. And of course, the offering of, of what it means to really give out true love, to give out true grace. And all that's important, but this morning what I believe that we need to talk about is the purity of the mission that we have been called to as a church. This series is called Holy Calling, and the reason it is is that what are we act actively doing to reach people? How do we remove those obstacles and let them truly see Jesus? And so all that stuff is important, but this morning I believe we need to talk about the purity of the mission that we've been called to as a church. Because as well as the other things we've been talking about, there are certain cultural obstacles that can be barriers to us becoming the church that God has called us to be as well. And what are some of those things? The video kind of talks about that, but I want to mention a few of those. First of all, that church is not a place. It's funny because you say, where are you going? I'm going to church. That whole thing is a misnomer. Church is not a place. And if I could do this without the microphone, you ever heard your, you know, your parents teach you, you know, this is a church, this is a steeple, look inside, there's all the people. The church is the people. The church is not the building. It is not a place. It is actually a group of people. We will talk about that in a moment. Church is also, is not successful based on the number of people who come. It's not successful based on that. Jesus didn't say, if you meet this quota, you are a successful church. It's not successful based on the number of people who come, how large the building is, where you meet, right? How many campuses are involved, and nor is it grown with a stellar business model. That's not what church is about. Church is not something that revolves around the, the popularity of its pastor, thank God. Okay. Like, really, that dweeb? Okay. Surprise, you're still here. Okay. Or its programs, or its music. Church also is not a service. It's not a service. And it's not something relegated only for Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, and Wednesday nights. That's not 
what church is. What church is is so much bigger than, than all of that. And we actually find the answer to what church is by going back to the original language. The Bible was written, if you haven't heard, in Hebrew and Chaldee, a little bit, of, and in Greek. And the, he, the, the Greek word for church is this. It's, it's ekklesia. Can you say that with me? Ekklesia. You can try. Come on. You can try. <laughs> ekklesia. What's cool about that word is it's very visual. The Greek language, the Hebrew language especially, very visual. And what ekklesia means is this. It means the called out ones. doesn't mean building. doesn't mean... <laughs> It doesn't mean building, doesn't mean a place. It is the called out ones. These people that have come together out of society with a particular mission that has been given by God. The called out ones. And it's a growing group of people that have this mission of reconciliation with God and of renewal. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. To remind you, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Considering that mission, look what it says in 2 Corinthians. It says, and he died for all, speaking about Jesus, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Oh, man. You know, you're following Jesus now. Guess what? You're no longer living for yourself. It used to be all about Lance no longer, okay? And some of you are saying, what are you talking about? Let me tell you what I've observed. All right. No, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so God says, look, get your perspective right, right from the start. Your life is no longer about you. You have a very strong mission that I have for you. Look what it says a little bit later in that same passage. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, therefore... You've heard this verse many times. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You're a new creation in Christ. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us that same message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's what? Ambassadors. Thank you. As though God, I love this picture in your mind, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So get it straight. Your life's not about you. It's about him. And by the way, we have a message for you to deliver as the ecclesia, as the called out ones. It is your job to be reconcilers. You ever been someone that's tried to reconcile? Moms are really great at this, right? When the, the brother and the sister, two brothers get in a fight. Look, sit down. Let's talk this through. Got to get them back on the same page, right? The idea of reconciliation, the problem between us and God has been sin. It's been all this, this garbage but what's really cool is that Christ made the first move, didn't he? He loved us so much that he came, and we know the story, he died on the cross for our sins to remove all the stuff that stood in between. But even though he did that, there has to be a moment in someone's life where they're willing 
to say, Lord, I follow you. I have decided, like that song we sang a moment ago, I have decided to follow Jesus. So our life is not about ourselves; it's about him. And as the ecclesia, the called out ones, we are called to be people that deliver that message of reconciliation. Because people are estranged from God, aren't they? There are many who have no relationship with him. You know, he's their creator, he's their father, but they have not acknowledged him as their dad. They've not recognized that this is the God of all creation. There's a personal relationship there. They haven't accepted that. They don't speak, right? They don't talk to him. They never invite him in for dinner, if you will. Kind of reminds me of the passage where Jesus says, I'm knocking on the door. If you let me in, I'll come and eat with you. That, that eating is that sense of intimacy. Now, that verse is more about the church as a whole, but it still applies here. And so they don't speak. They, they never invite him in for dinner, and he has no place in their life, and they, they live as if he does not exist. And so Jesus says, you know what? I have a job for you as a church. You are going to be reconcilers. You have a very large mission in front of you. Whatever it was that you thought that your life was about, if you're following me, realize it's not about you. It's about me. And this is what you're supposed to be doing. You do have a holy calling. You know, if you've heard this next verse several times reminding us of that mission, and I want to just remind you of it today. It's the Great Commission. In verse 16, it says that when the 11 disciples went into Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, it says when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some still doubted. There's always going to be those in the crowd that are, that are ready to go and those that are doubtful. And when Jesus says he came to them and he said, look, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore... Because of that, right, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Another reminder, this is what you're supposed to do. So we have his presence, okay? He's with us. We have his power. He uses the word authority. He says, because of all of this, do this, right? You've got my, his presence and his power to accomplish this task. But if the church has just become a place, if it's just a Sunday morning service, if it's just a program, not a mission, we'll never accomplish what he's called us to do. It's another way of falling into the same trap that the Pharisees had of making the kingdom of God about a, a list of never-ending rules. It has no power, and it misses the point. The church has to be the church. So we need to go back to the basics, and we need to have a renewed understanding and a reminder of what the church looked like in its purest sense. In the same way that we want to remove the obstacles about what Jesus says it means to follow him, we need to do the same thing, I believe, in some ways when it comes to church. Let's take a look at the, the purest version of the early church that we can get a good look at today. We go back to Acts chapter 2, and we see a, a pretty interesting bunch of Scripture. 
this is what the church looked like at the very beginning in Acts chapter 2. They were devoted to some things, it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. It says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now to break it down, this is, I mean, again, this is the purest version of the church, the very first passages we see about them, okay? And to break it down, they were devoted to some things, okay? First of all, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They made sure that they did not miss what was taught by the leadership. They were always in the know. They always knew what was going on because they were listening. They were studying. And then number two, they were involved in fellowship. Fellowship's a big word, okay? But to break it down, they were, they were gathering together. They were eating together. They were always hanging out together, okay? This one passage of Scripture, just this little paragraph, it literally mentions four times in this passage this aspect. It must have been really, really important for the church to get together, okay? They spent a lot of time together. They ate together, and it says that they continued to meet together every day. Say that with me. Every day. It's mentioned so much in this passage, it had to have been important to them. It was a huge, huge deal. They also took care of each other. They were devoted to these things, and they were devoted to prayer. They enjoyed, it says at the end of this, the favor of all the people. I think that's really interesting, and I've mentioned, to this, mentioned this to you all before. The favor of the people, I believe they're talking about there, is the community the society that they were in. They loved Jesus. They were actively involved in the mission to do what he had called them to do. And they had such a good reputation that they, were, they had the favor of the community, the favor of the people around them. When a church is in a community, it should make a positive difference, shouldn't it? These should be people that are, that are loving, that are caring, that are involved in wanting to actively make a difference. So much so that if the, the church shut down, you would notice a major difference in the community. They enjoyed the favor of all the people because they were the pure thing, truly loving and sharing the love of Christ. They weren't talking about all the things the Pharisees were talking about. They weren't judging people for coming into church wearing this or that or, you know, all this other kind of stuff we've been talking about. So they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And then it says, the Lord added to their number. See, this is where there's no business plan when it comes to church. It says, the Lord was the one that added to their number daily those who were being saved. In other words, those who had decided to follow Jesus. 
You know, their life revolved literally around the Lord together. Their life revolved around them being the church, around the life and the mission that God had called them to. For them, church was not a place. Church was not a program. Church was not a Sunday morning service. The church was the ecclesia, the called out ones. And they, their life revolved around that. That was their life. So if this is the model, if you accept that in its purest form, then what has become of many of our churches? Why are many of our churches the way that they are? Today, if we looked like this as a church, we'd probably be accused of being a cult because we hung out so much together, you know? Because you're like, no, you guys are like together every day. There's something weird going on because nobody does that, right? You go to church, you punch the clock, and you come back later, and you start, you know, it's every Sunday kind of thing. If you're really involved, then you're involved in some programs. But to get together, to stay connected throughout the entire week, that's got to be a cult, right? They were together all the time. I think there was this recognition that they realized that they needed each other, that they were stronger together, and that they were the church. They were the ecclesia. They were the called out ones. I mean, can we really be that way? You know? I mean, everyone's got their own life to live, right? Just sit on that and be uncomfortable for a little while. As you consider the challenge of that passage, though, okay, before you begin to feel like it's impossible, I want you to consider what Jesus has to say in the next passage that we're going to look at in Matthew 6. Because we're concerned about our lives. We're concerned about accomplishments. We're concerned about gathering things and getting stuff. We're concerned about making sure that we have money for this and money for that. There's a list of different things that are important to you. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. Now this is assuming, of course, your life revolves around him. That you realize that he does have all power and authority. That Jesus truly is not just a a card-punching Sunday morning thing. There is a relationship there, a real growing relationship. And he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Does anybody, has anyone besides Jesus ever tell you that? You know, don't worry about your life. No, instead they say, you've got to plan ahead. You've got to make sure you've got money for this, so you can go to college, so you can get a job, so you can make money for retirement, so you can retire, so you can die. That's what you're planning for, right? Isn't that worth it? Don't you want to have all that money so you can retire and then die? That's a life well lived. You had a great education. You made a lot of money. You had some retirement, and you left just enough after you died for your kids to do the same thing. Man, what a life. Jesus says, don't worry about your life. I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Wait, he's not even telling you to worry about what you eat or drink. It's pretty basic. You're already way beyond worrying about stuff beyond that. I'm worried about this next gig around the corner here. I'm worried about how I'm going to get my kids through college. I'm worried about 
whatever it is for you, fill in the blank. But he says, don't even worry about what you eat or drink or about your body or what you wear, right? I certainly don't care about what I wear. I probably should care more, my wife says, right? But is not life more than food? Good question. I should tell myself that when I'm trying to lose weight. Is not life more than food? Good question. And the body more than clothes? Is that really all there is to it? Is, is having great meals and wearing good clothes? Isn't life more than that? It's more than what you eat. It's more than what you wear. And, and then Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He's like, if I take care of the birds, he says, are you not much more valuable than they? Aren't you more valuable than a bird? And yet God takes care of them. He says, can any of you, I love this, by worrying, add a single hour to your life. You ever got peace, you know, by worrying? Just knew that it doesn't change anything, does it? It doesn't add any hours. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow, and they do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon and all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Now here's where it gets interesting. For Jesus says, for the pagans, those that don't know me, essentially, run after all these things. That's their goal. I need more stuff. They run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows the things that you need. But here's where it kicks real strong to me, considering what we're talking about today. But seek first. You throw up a little, little number one finger for me so you're following with me. Seek first. When I say first, point. Come on, come on, people. This is crowd participation this morning, all right? Seek first this little light. I'm just kidding. We won't, we won't sing that. Seek first what? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Make that the priority. And then look what it says. And all these things will be given to you as well. See, we got our focus wrong sometimes. We have our priority wrong sometimes. We're focused on obtaining various things, accomplishing various things, but we have our priorities out of order. Focus first on the kingdom and his righteousness, and then he will provide those things. What are you focused on first? Does everything revolve around him, or does everything revolve around that or this? Because if our priorities are not straight, then nothing else works. It's upside down. God says it's not that those things don't matter, but he's saying, I got this as long as you've got me. As long as your mission, your focus is in the right place. 
because there's more to life than eating and drinking. There's more to life than, than clothes. There's more to life, believe it or not, than college and, and athletics and, and accomplishments and, and all these things that really feel important to us, they will be washed away. They do not last, but his kingdom does. See, we have a holy calling, a holy responsibility to build something that will last. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.15, remind you that same verse, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for what? Louder. Dude, this is uncomfortable. I want to say it out loud. No longer live for themselves, but for? Oh, come on, y'all. Him. Him. Who died for them and was raised again. Let's put him as a name. Who was the him we're talking about here? You guys are lame. Come on. This is church. It should be easy to say it here. So when you go outside, you've got to actually put this to practice and where it's, it's trouble. Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, So we fix our eyes, we focus, right, not on what is seen, not on the things that it says, that Jesus says the pagans are running after, but on what is unseen holy things things of faith things that won't remain unseen forever by the way but it says since what is seen is what say it loud and strong no 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 since what is seen is the stuff that you see around you the food the clothes the accomplishments what is seen is say it again temporary But what is unseen is eternal. I guess the question is, what do you want to do with your life? You want to build something that lasts? Do you want to be focused on the things of God or the things of yourself? I got to wrap things up here. I know we're getting, I don't want to go over too much. So what do we do? As that mission is in your mind this morning, as the called out ones, as the called out church, the ecclesia of God. You may not feel like you have a lot of resources. You may not feel like you have a lot of talents or gifts to minister or whatever. But I simply would ask you this, what do you have? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago with the boy and the lunch, you know, they gave it to Jesus and they fed all these people. What do you have? You may not think it's a lot, but what is it that you do have? Okay individually and then what do we have as a church there's this story that's really interesting in acts 3 it says peter and john were going to the temple at the hour of prayer you know like they did with the church every day like, dude you're gonna make me come to church every day now i can't make you do anything for one but they're going out to the temple it says and a lame man from birth was being carried who they laid daily at this gate the name of that gate, of course, was called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, Look, I don't have no money, all right? I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
rise up and walk. They took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles remained strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This guy's entire life was changed, right? And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They took what God had given them. They didn't have silver or gold. They didn't have all these other kind of resources. But what they did have was the authority and power of God. And God took it and made something amazing happen. What do you have? What's God calling you to do? As a church, what do we have? And what can we do? I could list a bunch of things that God has given us. One of the things that's come up, one of the things that that we have always had that God has blessed us with, and it's interesting that, that my son Dennis wrote up and handed me another little cup of coffee. <sighs> yes. One of the things we have always had is a cafe. God has blessed us with a cafe. We always felt like it was a sin to have crappy church coffee, you know. Not really, but anyway, we have this. Justin put all the time in the world building this amazing cart that rolls together, and we've got some really cool machinery, and we've got this cart, right? What are we doing with it? Well, Sunday morning you come in, you get some coffee. What can we do with it to reach our community? Now, we've, before I say this, you know, as a, as a church, we've done some, some cool things with service. You know, we, we go to the nursing home every other week, and once a month we do a service as well. We, we've been involved with Axe Metro, helping the, 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 those in need around town. We've been involved in Oliver Gospel Mission. We've done things like that. But one of the things that we haven't done very well is to let other people know that we're here. Okay? Fancy word for that, evangelism. The point that we want them to know that we're here is because we want to tell them about how much Jesus loves them. But if people don't know, then they don't come. There's no connection with the community. These guys enjoyed the favor, it says, of the community. They love the community. They're involved in the community. What's really cool, if you haven't thought about it, is we're stationed in, in a central aspect of our community. We're meeting in the YMCA. Now, we could go out and knock on doors and tell people we're here. But those people aren't going to open the doors, especially if they're like me. I'm an introvert that says, I'm going to go run and hide. I ain't opening the door. I don't know who you. I don't know you. I don't know who you are. And much less, I don't want to talk to you because I'm an introvert, okay? But here's the deal. God has given us this cafe. We prayed about this for some time, and then uh, Chris Wood and myself met with Drew, who's over the Y here, and we asked him, and said, look, what would you think if we were to come in here to begin with one Saturday a month and just gave away, made and gave away free coffee to the people of the Y? And he loved it. He's like, absolutely. We've got the opportunity now, once a month or more if we have the volunteers, to simply come together and just hand out a cup of coffee to let the community as they come in and go know that there's a church that meets here, a church that loves them, that cares about them, not trying to sell them anything. Everything is completely free. The little tip jars we have up there, they're not going to be there. 
we are just going to be here giving coffee and love, if you will, to our community. It's that simple. They come here. Pretty amazing. That's something small that we have that we can give, that we can get involved in that's sustainable. So I want to simply put this out here for you too as well. We don't want to exhaust those who are already involved in the cafe. Let's, by the way, Beth has stepped up with others to make this thing happen. My mom's been gone for weeks on end. Can you guys give her a little? She deserves some applause. Thank you so much for that. I can't tell you how much stress that takes off of me and, and, and everybody. But, and done an amazing job. Um, so here's the thing. You're like, I don't know how to make coffee. So we can teach you. You know, is this something you'd like to be involved in? Great. We'll teach you. We'll help you to get involved. You know, we've got people that worked at Starbucks, you know, that know how to do this kind of stuff. And now there's a lot more people that know. So we want to encourage you to, to get involved in something like that. It's an easy way for you to help. What do you have? This is what we have. Let's use it. It's a new opportunity. I want you to consider the things the church was devoted to. They had the favor in the community. They were devoted to teaching. I want to encourage you to stay up to date. One of the things, if you, if you can't be here, it happens on a Sunday. The, the, the sermon is always up on the website. Download it. Listen to it. The other aspect of things that we're trying to, we really want to encourage you to do as a church, one of the things we're going to focus on is a lot on social media, okay? Social media is free, okay? If we want to reach more people, if you're excited about what God's doing here, I'm going to ask you to do something really difficult, right? This is high commitment level. Can you handle it? It's to use your finger and to click this button that says share, share, all right? Let's say you're Madonna, right? Madonna's got like 8,000 friends on Facebook. She probably does have 8,000 friends. She's cool like that. The way Facebook works, for example, she puts something up, only a certain percentage of her friends see it because you can't show all 8,000 people's stuff. But when, so she could share this, she could show something on there, but if, if somebody shares it, guess what? Then, let's say I share it, my group of people see it. Len shares it, his group of people see it, you know. If Eric shares it, his group of people see it. Next thing you know, this, you know, something that would have reached just a few people is reaching a ton of people. Can you share? Can you be share, click, evangelists, okay? Can you, it's something simple. Think about the simple stuff. What do you have? You can do that. I can't make you do it, but if you did that, that would be awesome. It would be huge. It goes so much farther than ever has been, okay? Fellowship. Here's another thing I want to talk about today. I'm trying not to go too long, but I'm sorry. There's a lot of good stuff here, I hope. They met every day. Going to the temple every day. They were focused. Their life revolved around being a church. It wasn't about Len's got his thing, Dave's got his thing, and Madonna's got her thing. And I've got my thing, and then occasionally our, our lives intertwine, and here we are. They were revolved around it. And when you're connected, think about it. When you're on a team for school, for football, if you don't show up, you're off the team, you know. 
you need everybody to get things done to move the ball from here to there. So they understood that. They understood the need for each other. Now, what does that look like or what could it look like in a modern-day scenario? Sure, we could figure that out. I don't know where we'd meet during the week because they're working out here, you know. But here's something easy as well. Maybe you're not a Facebook person. There's more social media than Facebook. Maybe you hate it. Maybe you've gotten into drag out fights on Facebook and you've unfriended everybody and you've just totally messed it up, all right? It happens, all right? But I'm going I'm to encourage you to do one thing for the sake of fellowship as a church. I want to ask you to get on Facebook for the purpose of connecting with each other. and for telling others. Those two things. If you did that, that'd be amazing. You know, there are so many things you guys go through that I have no idea unless I was on Facebook. You know, oh, it's so-and-so's birthday. We don't hand out emails that says, hey, everybody, you know, uh, today is, is Nikki's birthday, so and, and, uh, and Nikki and Chaz are probably out partying somewhere. Who knows? You know, that's why they're not here this morning. Nikki, Chaz, hope you're listening. Just kidding. Um, but and that's okay. But I mean, um, I wouldn't know that otherwise. We don't have a list of birthdays. There's all kinds of things that are going on. What if we could connect, you know, how to pray for each other, how to love on each other, use it. It's a great modern-day tool that the disciples never had. They're like, great, now I'm going have to walk so far into the temple. So I want to encourage you to consider that and to keep that in mind. Be involved in, in the Bible studies, right? This week's a great opportunity the physical meat, you know, Bible and, Bible and brew. It's really not a, a hard sell, I don't think, for guys to say, hey, you want to come grab a beer and study the Bible together. Pretty, pretty easy. Same thing for the women, to get together. It's awesome fellowship together and growing together and encouraging one another. I could go on forever with this, but I'm going to close with this passage. I'm sorry I've gone so long. But in Hebrews 10, 23, it says this. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. It's basically this way of saying, you know what, church, stay strong. There's a lot of easy ways to get distracted, to make it about you and not about him. Stay strong. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider this, right? This is what we're trying to do as a church. This is the Facebook element here. Look, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. Let me give you an example of that. You know, there are some mornings where we have nursing home. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to go. I've not always been good with old folks at the nursing home, Edie. I just haven't been. I'm looking at, I'm looking at you because... I'm looking at you because you're faithful. Edie never misses. Never. And there are others that never miss too, but there are moments I don't want to go. I'm, I'm almost like confession to you, Edie. That's what Edie, I, I consider you our leader in that ministry. Okay? So, surprise. Um, there are times I don't want to go. But you know what happens? My wife is the one, also as a part of the church, not just my wife, who stirs me up to love and to good deeds. You know what? Those folks, if it weren't for you, they wouldn't, who are they going to talk to? They're by themselves. They're alone all week. They don't have a chaplain that's on staff there. If you don't go, then who will? 
We all need that as a church to stir each other up, to encourage one another. We need you to do this because if you don't do it, who will? And besides which, you are the ecclesia. You are the called out ones of God. You have a higher calling than what you're planning. Come out. And we need that. We need to be stirred up to do those things. That was a good, good reason for the church to come together and to be together. Because there are just moments you don't want, you don't feel like doing anything. There are moments, let's be honest, where you know it's important, but you don't care. You're tired. You're exhausted. You know, and I happen to be one of those pastors in the same place as you. I'm working m- Monday through Friday, the 9 to 5. For me, it's 10 to 6. But I'm working all those hours and doing this stuff too. The only thing I like about that is it's, it's, there's no excuses. Let's come together, right? There's a lot going on, but we need each other to stir one another up because we're not always in the right place, are we? Our hearts aren't always in the right place. I'm talking about me, too. But man, if we come together, let us stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together. And we do it all the time, even in our own families. You know, there's some families, you know, their family lives right down the road and they haven't seen their mom in like weeks, right? I'm like, why do we do that? But as a church, especially, don't neglect meeting together is the habit of some but encouraging one another. We need that. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Will, will the ecclesia please stand? That's you, that's the church. God has a high calling for all of us. That's some amazing things that we all have to come together and do. It's like the organ doesn't work unless all the cells are together. You pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for the example we see in Acts 2 of a of church in its earliest and purest form. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember those things this week and to, to take the calling you've given us seriously. Lord, that our lives might revolve around you rather than whatever it is that's going on. Lord, it's not meant to be a thing of guilt this morning. I just pray right now that it's not received that way. But, Lord, I, I long for our church to be, to be stirred up, to be stirred up, to come together for love and, the good deed, and for good deeds. That's what you've, you've called us to do. You've called us to be those that are, that are actively making a difference and are ambassadors for you. Lord, give us the energy. Give us the strength in the midst of crazy lives to do what you've called us to do. Lord, help us to trust in you always. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.